Welcome to the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. Vintage Church is a multi-church, multi-city movement of truth, love, and community. For information, visit vintagechurchmovement.com. Here is this week's message. Hey, welcome to Vintage Church again. If I've never met you before, my name is Dustin Turner, and I serve as the lead pastor of Vintage Church. We are in week three of our series called Phased, and we are looking through the book of Haggai to learn about what we should do in our new normal. Every single one of us, no doubt, are in a new normal as we are in the middle of COVID still. The coronavirus is still surging. Uh, The Delta variant is very strong. So we're trying to figure out what should we do? How should we live our life? And we're looking really at, in this new normal, the new priorities that we should be living with or how we should prioritize what matters most to us. So I want to encourage you, if you're new or you're looking for sermon resources or our introduction booklet to the book of Haggai, you can find all of those sermon resources at this link right there. That's going to take you to my sermon notes. Uh, It's going to take you to audio, video. It's going to take you to our V group study, like I said, as well as a intro booklet, introduction booklet to the book of Haggai that our equipping team wrote. Everything is right there. Week one, we talked about those priorities and how God was calling the people of Israel to, to a new priority, to prioritize what mattered most, which was rebuilding the temple as they had come back from exile. Last week, Pastor Matthew Weaver brought the word, and what he showed at the end of chapter one in the Old Testament prophet Haggai is that the people obeyed. They listened to God, they obeyed, and they began to rebuild the temple. So today what we're going to do is we're going to start in chapter 2, Haggai chapter 2 verses 1 through 9. Now, I probably don't need to say this because if you're watching the news or you're just alive, chances are you have or are experiencing the fact that things can be pretty discouraging. I mean, if you look at the news right now regarding the coronavirus and the Delta variant, and you, maybe you have kids in school right now, things look pretty discouraging. I mean, in fact, I've started to think like, I have no idea what's going to happen in the near future. If you're watching the news right now, you're seeing everything going on in Afghanistan and how incredibly dangerous and scary and sad that situation is. I mean... There's just this reality, even in our own personal lives, that things can get pretty discouraging. In this past week, I had a really rough day this week where just a bunch of stuff kind of piled up on me. I had my son home from school because in his pod, one of the students had tested positive, and so Gabe was back home after only two days of being in school. Thankfully, he's tested negative both times, and he's back to school now. I had that. I had both of my cars with the check engine lights on at the same time. And all in the midst of all of that, I'm trying to write a sermon, right? We all have discouraging moments in life. And what I want us to think about is what do you do when your current situation is discouraging? What do you do when your current situation 
is discouraging. As we look in the book of Haggai together today, we are going to find that despite the people of Israel obeying God, the current situation for them was discouraging. And so God challenges them and encourages them in their state of discouragement. So let's look at Haggai chapter 2 verses 1 through 9. Here's what it says. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet, now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace declares the Lord of hosts now just a little bit of context in order to understand what's going on here this is Haggai's second message we saw the first message in chapter one and this message comes two months after the first message that he gave the people of Israel Like we saw last week, the people have begun to rebuild the temple, but it's nowhere near complete. They've literally just begun. And what what Haggai does is he delivers this second message during the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles was celebrated to commemorate when the people of Israel were living in tents in the wilderness, when they came up out of Egypt. And at the same time, the, t- the Feast of Tabernacles was also the occasion when Solomon's temple, the temple previously that was destroyed, had been dedicated. So you can see what's going on here. Haggai is delivering this message. They're celebrating this feast, and part of this feast is remembering how God provided for them and remembering this first temple that's been destroyed. So what can we learn from this section of scripture we've already said this but i want to reiterate it because it's important it's this our current situation can be discouraging our current situation can be discouraging look at verse 2 of uh, haggai chapter 2 he says this speak now to zerubbabel the son of shealtiel governor of judah to joshua the son of jehozadak the high priest to all the remnant of the people Now, what he's doing is he's setting up this message. Speak to the leaders, the governor of Judah. Speak to the priest of Judah. Speak to the remnant. The remnant was that small group of people who had come back from captivity. 
And immediately, God, through the prophet Haggai, asks three difficult and discouraging questions. Now, I've kind of paraphrased these questions. Here's what God says. Number one, he asks them, he asks them of all of you, who saw Solomon's temple? Now, remember, they'd been in exile for about 70 years. So some of the people that had come back from exile might have been children or young teenagers. And so there were people among Israel who had been around to see the grandeur and the glory of Solomon's temple. I mean, in fact, if you read when the temple is built by Solomon in 1 Kings 8, verses 10 through 11, look at how the temple is described. When the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. I mean, this was not only an incredible sight to be seen, the temple itself, but the very fact that the glory of the Lord appeared in the temple. So the first thing that God says is, how many of you, by show of hands, right, saw Solomon's temple? Then he asks a follow-up question. What do you see now? And it's obvious for everybody. We've already talked about this in this series, if you've been journeying with us. When they looked at where the temple stood, all they saw was the foundation that had been laid to rebuild the temple. The original temple, Solomon's temple, had been completely destroyed. They had poured the foundation for the new temple, but they never built the temple. So he, he's putting this comparison in their mind. Do you remember Solomon's temple, how beautiful and grand and glorious it was, and now what do you see? Nothing. And then, in my words, he says this, isn't this pathetic compared to what it used to be? Now that is a discouraging question. It's discouraging when you've seen something the way it used to be and you see how it is now. Every once in a while, when I go back to Ohio to visit family, I will drive past the house that I was born in. We lived there till about the time I was in first grade. And it's a shame when I look at that house because it's now falling down and dilapidated. People haven't taken care of it after my parents sold it. And that's exactly the kind of thing that the people of Israel are seeing. They know what Solomon's temple used to be. They know the, the glory and the grandeur that it had, and now it's as if it's nothing. All of us, to some degree or another, have those kinds of situations. So my question for you is this, what are you currently discouraged about? Maybe it is the global events that you see on television. Maybe you're like me, and you're, one of your kids is at home with you learning online or learning on their own. Or maybe a family member is sick with COVID. Or, or maybe your two cars have check engine lights on. Maybe you're struggling financially. Every single one of us, to some degree or another, whether it be now or whether it be later, will find ourselves in discouraging situations. But this text doesn't end with the discouraging situation. Our current situation can be discouraging, but, verses 4 through 5, trust 
and obey God who is near. Trust and obey God who is near. God tells the people of Israel three things in these two verses. Number one, he says, be strong. He speaks again to Zerubbabel, the governor, to Joshua, the high priest, and then to the remnant, the people. And he tells all three of them, be strong. Now, if these people, and they would have been, were familiar with the story of Scripture, they would have remembered these words. Right after Moses dies, he led the people of Israel out of Egypt, and he was about ready to go into the promised land, and his protege, Joshua, takes over. Joshua is young, he's inexperienced, and God comes to Joshua in Joshua 1, verse 9, and he says this, Have I not commanded you? Do what? Be strong. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. If you go back just a few verses in, in Joshua 1, verse 6 and verse 7, two other times God says, be strong. Another passage that is even more important to this story is in 1 Chronicles 28, 20. King David who was the king of Israel, was speaking to his son Solomon, who was going to build the temple. And listen to what David tells Solomon. Then he said, that is, David said to Solomon, his son, what? Be strong and courageous and do it. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Why? For the Lord God, even my God, is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. David told Solomon, be strong, be courageous, do the work because God is with you. And that's what God tells the people of Israel next through Haggai. Be strong and because you're strong in me, work. I mean, I don't know about you, one of the most difficult things for me is when you're beginning a project. I mean, the most daunting part is when it, you're at the very beginning. Sometimes the hardest moment is the first moment. Recently, I was working on uh, my car, and both on the driver's side and the passenger side, the door handles had ripped off the car. Now, I don't know a ton about cars, and I've definitely never replaced door handles. And I had put this off, replacing these door handles for years. I mean, we're talking like two or three years that they had been falling off. And finally, I said, I'm going to do it. And in order to take this door handle off, I literally had to take the inside of the door off to put the new door handle on. The reason I delayed that work is because the beginning was daunting. I try to write, right? You might think, well, Dustin writes sermons. Dustin wrote a dissertation. Dustin writes this and he writes that. Writing must come easy. Listen, when I'm sitting down to write something for the very first time, it is daunting when there's not a single word on the page. Sometimes the first moment is the most difficult moment. The people of Israel are looking at a concrete slab, and they're thinking to themselves, how in the world are we going to complete this? God is saying, listen, be strong. Do the work. Even when it's hard, especially when it's hard, we must trust and obey God. And the reason we can do that is what God, because of what God says next. He says, I am near. God is near. He says, work. 
for what? I am with you. And then the next verse in verse 5, he says, My spirit remains in your midst. Now, here's the interesting thing about that that I find encouraging. What was the temple for? The temple in Haggai chapter 1, God calls it his home. It's his dwelling. It's the place where he lives and where he rests. There is no temple. There is a concrete slab where the temple should be. And yet, what does God remind the people of Israel? How does he encourage them? He says this, listen, even though there's no physical temple for me to dwell, because you're doing what you're supposed to do, you're obeying me, you're rebuilding my temple, I am still in your midst. I'm still with you. I'm still near you. God is present. See, the reason that we can be strong, the reason that we work is because God is near. And that's still true for you and I. And if because God is near, then the reason we can trust and obey isn't because of us, isn't because we're going to be strong in our own might, we're going to work hard, it's because God is near. So because God is near, we trust and obey Him. Listen, now tie these things together. When you're in a discouraging moment or a discouraging situation, what you can do is you can allow the discouraging moment and situation to weigh you down. Or, in the midst of the discouraging moment and the discouraging situation, you can remember who God is. You can remember, despite how difficult it is, you can still trust and obey God. So my question for you is, how do you currently need to trust and obey God? How do you need to step back, pause, know that you're in a discouraging moment, and yet still trust and obey God? Lastly, we can trust and obey God because God is faithful to fulfill his promise. Let's look at verses 6 through 9. And I want to read all of these because it's so important to understand what God is saying in these few verses. This is what he says. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 8, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Of hosts. Now, it might be difficult to understand what's happening here, but God is making a promise. He's making a promise to the people of Israel who are in a moment of discouragement and they're struggling to trust and obey. Here's what he says first He says, Yet once more in a little while. If you want to understand what that means, just think about hurry up and wait. God is telling the people of Israel, Hurry up, but wait. Finish rebuilding the temple, but wait, there's more. So he says, yet in a little while, 
I will do what? I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. All of this is saying three things. Number one, that God is sovereign. That there is no peace of not only Israel, but all of creation that God is not in control of. Right? When we look at Afghanistan or we look at our own personal lives, remember, believe, and trust that God is in control. He is sovereign. Nothing is outside of His control. But number two, the reason He can be sovereign is because God is omnipotent. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. So there's a reason He can shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. So if He's sovereign and if He's omnipotent, God will therefore act on behalf of His people. See, the people are struggling to trust and obey. They're seeing a situation and they're thinking, there's no way we can do this. And God is saying, listen, I'm sovereign, I'm omnipotent. You can trust that I will come through for you. That I will see you through the other side. And then he gets to the result. What is going to happen? He says, the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former. What he's getting at here, the latter glory, meaning the temple that's going to be built or God's dwelling place in the future is going to be greater than the former, Solomon's temple. Now, there are people of Israel looking at this and they're like, there's no way that can happen, God. God says, in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. There's two things as God talks about the temple, the former temple and the latter temple that he gets at. And he says two things are going to be the result of this work. Number one, glory. And when God talks about glory, what he's referring to is the divine manifestation on earth. That God will manifest himself on earth. When he talked about, remember, in the passage in 1 Kings, when they finished the temple, it talked about God's glory coming down onto the temple. So God is saying, listen, me being faithful to fulfill my promise, what will result is my glory, my presence filling the earth. And then number two, he says, it's peace. This place, I will give what? Peace. Now, we've talked about peace a lot in the life of vintage, and you might be thinking peace is like the ceasing of war, the ceasing of striving. I, wanna, I want you to understand the full meaning of peace. In his book, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, Cornelius Plantinga explains peace like this. Listen to what he says. In the Bible, shalom, that is the Hebrew word for peace, shalom means what? Universal flourishing wholeness, and delight. It's a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed. A state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. So God says, listen, you can, I'm faithful, you can trust my promises because here's what's going to happen. The, the temple that is going to be is going to bring my glory, my presence, and when my presence comes to earth finally and fully to exist, peace 
wholeness, flourishing, delight will be the result. That's what God is promising. But here's what I want you to understand about this promise. There's more to this promise than just simply the physical rebuilding of a structure that was known as the temple. The promise is more. In the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, it's the only place in the New Testament where the book of Haggai is quoted. Look at what the author of Hebrews says. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 25. See that you do not refuse him, that is God, who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him, who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he's promised. Does this sound familiar? Yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful. Why? For receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Verse 29, for our God is a consuming fire. See, what the the author of Hebrews is getting at is that God's promise was never ultimately for a new physical temple to be rebuilt. What, What Haggai is talking about, what God is talking about through Haggai, is not about a physical rebuilding. The ultimate fulfillment of God's promise is for His unshakable presence to come into our world and bring peace. That's what God is getting at. And that does not find its fulfillment in a temple, but it finds its fulfillment in a person, in the person of Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 14. This is how Jesus is described. And the Word became flesh and did what? Dwelt. That word dwelt is in the Greek, the word tabernacle, which was the precursor to the temple. So the word became flesh and he dwelt among us and we have seen his what? Glory. Glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth. John chapter 2 verses 19 through 22. Jesus is having a conversation with the religious leaders and listen to what he says. Jesus answered them and said what? Destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. Verse 20. The Jews then said, It's taken us 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, that is Jesus, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. John chapter 2 is referring to not the temple that was rebuilt in the time of Haggai, but Herod's temple. That was an expansion of that temple. And Jesus says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. 
What he's saying is, I am Jesus. I am the manifestation of the presence of God on earth. If you destroy me, I will resurrect three days later. And then in Revelation chapter 21, verses 22 through 26, we see the end of time. We see into eternity, and we see what the new heaven and the new earth is going to be like, and here is what it says. And I saw, what? No temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For what? The glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. See, in the very end, there's no need for a physical temple. Why? Because God will dwell in our midst. God will be present That's what Haggai is ultimately promising. And that promise comes to fruition in the person of Jesus. Jesus is God. He came to earth and put on flesh and became human. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He went to the cross to die, not for his sins, but for our sins. And then he rose from the grave, defeating sin, death, and hell. And here's what Scripture says. What Scripture says is that we have to respond to this message. If you want the peace that God offers, the way things ought to be, then we have to respond to the message of the gospel. Number one, we repent. Meaning, we've been living our life one way, and that way is contrary to God. We turn away from living that life. Number two, we believe. We have faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he died for our sins, that he rose to give us life. And then number three, we confess that faith publicly through baptism. Going under the water, being buried with Jesus, and coming up out of the water, being raised with Jesus. That is the message of the gospel. See, the the promise that God made that he was faithful to fulfill came to fulfillment in the person of Jesus. And now we have this ultimate hope. See, yes, our current situation can be discouraging. But we're called to trust and obey God. And the reason that you and I, the reason that we can trust and obey God is because God is faithful to His promise. We know He's faithful. Why? Because the promise He made in the book of Haggai He brought to fulfillment when he sent his son, Jesus. So my question for you is ultimately this. Where are you placing your ultimate hope? If you're in a moment of discouragement and you don't know what to do and you think that ultimately the issue is just getting past this moment of discouragement, you're wrong. Because what you and I need is we need ultimate hope. And ultimate hope can only be found in the person of Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean discouraging moments aren't going to come. I've just told you, I've had some discouraging moments this week. 
but I don't place my ultimate hope in those situations that I were hoping would be encouraging. I place my ultimate hope in what I know to be true because God is faithful to his promise that Jesus came, he died, he rose for me. One of the things that I find interesting sometimes is when my expectations are exceeded. Sometimes I'll go into a situation and I'll be expecting one thing and then I'll come out being like, wow, that was incredible. Now, I don't know about you. I don't get my expectations exceeded often. It's a joke around here at Vintage Church with my staff that it's difficult to please me. I think my wife would agree. But recently, I had dinner with Pastor Rob Wilton, our founding pastor, Matt Brichetto, our executive pastor, and Montre Wyatt, our spiritual formation coordinator. We went to Giacomo's on Oak Street. And you know, typically when you go to Giacomo's, if you've ever been before, uh, you get the seafood. Their seafood is incredible. But that night, they shared with me about one of their specials. They had a steak as a special. On the bottom of the steak was mashed potatoes. On top of the steak, it was covered in a balsamic dressing, and then on top of the dressing, it was topped with onion rings. On top of that, of course, I got the shoestring french fries. So, you know, I'm not expecting a ton out of this because I'm thinking, wow, it's seafood place, I should probably get seafood, but hey, I feel like having a steak. And the steak comes out, and immediately my expectations are blown out of the water. Why? Because the steak is the size of the plate. And then I immediately begin to take a bite of the steak, and it is incredible. The balsamic dressing that's on top of it is out of this world. I tried the onion rings. They're incredible. I get to the mashed potatoes. They're incredible. My expectations were exceeded. See, the people of Israel had expectations, Especially if they had seen Solomon's temple. What they saw in Solomon's temple was this incredible place. This incredible, grand place of God's glory. And that's what they were expecting to be again. But when we get to the New Testament, Israel's expectations are exceeded in the person of Jesus. Because no longer do they come to a building to see and experience God. They find God in a person. Jesus. Our current situation can be discouraging. But trust and obey God because He's faithful to His promise. He's faithful to His promise. So as we close, I want to remind you of these questions and encourage you to reflect on these questions, not only right now, but this week. Number one, what are you currently discouraged about? What season of life are you in? Where are you struggling? What is it that's keeping you up at night? What are you discouraged about? Number two, in light of that, how do you currently need to trust and obey God? You have this discouraging moment, but the discouraging moment, while it is real and true, we can still trust and obey God because He's sovereign, He's omnipotent, He has our best in mind. How is God calling you in this moment to trust and obey Him? And lastly, in the midst of discouragement, where are you placing your ultimate hope? 
Because what you're experiencing right now is limited. What you're experiencing right now will pass. But the ultimate hope that we find in Jesus Christ, it will last forever. I don't know what you're going through right now, but here's what I can remind you of. You can trust and obey God because he is faithful to his promise. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you so much for loving us. God, we thank you that you are faithful. God, that when you make a promise, it will come to pass. And because of your faithfulness, regardless of what we're going through, God, we can trust and we can obey you. So God, in this moment right now, help us to respond to you. We love you. We thank you for loving us. We ask all of this in Jesus' name.